You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. In our last episode, I introduced you to some fundamental truths. Truths that often come as a shock to people. We talked about how, when we're using our minds normally, as normal people do, which means most people, according to research, more than 95% of people. But then again, I've been working in this field since 1996. And I think that 95% is grossly understated. I haven't met many people who are using their minds abnormally. Let me put it another way, better way. When you're using your mind in an ordinary way, you really haven't a clue about anything. Come back to that in a moment. And as I said a moment ago, I haven't come across very many people in the last 25 years who, when I met them first, were using their minds in any way other than an ordinary way. This podcast is about using your mind in an extraordinary way. And the extra all boils down to having your head screwed on enough so that You are not subject to the fundamental truths that we talked about in last week's episode. What were those fundamental truths? When we're using our mind normally or in an ordinary fashion, we've no idea what's going on. We've no idea what we should be doing. We've no idea who we really are. And we've no idea what we're trying to achieve, what we really want. Now we're going to go through each of these four points in turn over the coming episodes, starting with the obvious. If you don't know what's going on, it's pretty difficult to have a clue about the other points that I mentioned a moment ago. Now, it doesn't matter what order we take these in, they're all interchangeable, all interconnected. They're all based on the problem that the normal mind presents us with. You see, your mind, operating as nature intended is designed in a way that disables you from knowing what's going on that disables you from knowing what you need to do now unless unless you are confronted with a life-threatening situation if and please god you never will be if you are confronted with a life-threatening situation you'll know exactly what's going on and you'll know exactly what you need to do, and you'll know exactly what you want to achieve. You'll want to survive. You'll want to get out of whatever situation in which you find yourself. This is the way the mind evolved, and the mind is designed to ensure that these life-saving steps that your mind will automatically take when confronted by a life-threatening situation will simply happen. And for that to happen, the mind is designed to ensure that you don't pay any attention to the ordinary, apparently mundane stuff of everyday life. Now, I've deliberately used the word 
apparently, because what we now know in terms of how the universe works, what we now know from a scientific point of view in terms of how the doing and being brain works, we need to know what's going on now because everything that is going on now is potentially significant to us in enabling us live our lives the way we'd love to live them. That's a step up, or it's a couple of steps up from simply operating in survival mode. Actually, the truth of the matter is that it is only one or two steps up, and that's really what these sessions are all about. Let's circle all the way back to the start of what I said a few minutes ago. The very first point that I mentioned of those four fundamental truths. When we're using our minds normally, we haven't a clue what's going on in the here and now. Unless, as I said, we're confronted by a life-threatening situation. So in the ordinary course of our ordinary everyday lives, we simply make our way. We often struggle, and certainly for most people, it feels like a struggle. It feels like we're just making it from one day to the next, and it feels like not an awful lot changes in our lives, or not an awful lot even happens in our lives. Think about what I've just said in relation to it feels like nothing much changes in our lives. Because you are designed to survive and because you are designed to make it through the day, you are designed to resist change. Change in evolutionary times equaled danger. If I went off looking for a bit of adventure, I would put myself in harm's way. You're designed not to do that. You are designed not just to resist change, you are designed to ensure that change does not take place in your life. Now think about how frustrating that actually is because you've experienced the frustration of trying to change something in your life. We all have, only to discover that I was probably right not to think myself capable of changing in the first place. You know, there are industries making a fortune out of the normal mind's inability to bring about change in their lives. The fitness industry, the weight loss industry, the personal development and personal growth industry. It's interesting that people who spend money in the personal development industry, and it is an industry, it's very, very big business, billions of dollars a year. People who buy a self-help book or buy a self-help course, not like the Psychology of Success online program, but I'll come back to that in a minute. People who buy your average nonsense that's written about how to change your life, which doesn't address the fundamental problem that we all have when we're using our minds normally, that we can't change our life. People are repeat purchasers in this industry, just as most people trying to lose weight will try any and every diet. Spend a fortune. And the industries in question take a fortune on the basis that they know they'll be repeat customers. Why? Because nothing's going to change in your life until you change what's going on between your own two ears. And until you change what's going on between your own two ears, you actually have no idea what is going on in the here and now, which is the fundamental point we're addressing in this particular episode, because you are designed to ensure that you think what is going on now is the same that has always been going on now in your life. I know that sounds weird, but let me explain it. 
We're designed to make it through the day. We're designed to survive. Our psychological development, according to both developmental psychology, behavioral psychology, cognitive psychology, and neuroscience. So I said both, but there's a load of disciplines involved here. According to all those various different disciplines, you're designed to survive the developmental trajectory of the first 12 years of your life is all leading to a point at the onset of puberty, generally speaking, that you are ready for action. You're ready to go out to hunt for tonight's dinner and you are armed with a brain that is only alert to potential threats. In other words, you're not armed with a brain that will enable you achieve the kind of life you'd love to live. To enable you operate in that way, to enable you be a safe hunter-gatherer that doesn't put yourself in harm's way, you at the age of 12 have a load of routines you could call them programs you know a lot of people call them their baggage but you have a set of mental routines a set of automatic mental routines that enable you do all the mundane stuff of everyday life without ever giving it a blind bit of attention and that's the second time i've used the word mundane so i will come back to the word mundane again as we progress hold that thought for a minute these automatic mental routines that we have ensure that our life, the mundane stuff of our everyday life, runs on an automated set of rails. That means, in effect, what I need is a set of programs that my automatic pilot can use to enable me negotiate my way around the cut and thrust of ordinary everyday stuff, mundane everyday stuff. There's that word again. Again, hold that thought. So when something happens to me, say, as a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old, and at that stage, I've been using my mind normally for maybe 28 years or 38 years on automatic every day. If something unusual or novel happens to me, something that's never happened to me before. Now, I'm not talking about a life-threatening situation. I'm just talking about something that I haven't encountered before, perhaps, indeed, an opportunity. Hold that thought. If something like that happens to me, I won't be able to understand what is going on because my automatic mind will try to squeeze the novel event, the something new that's happening, into one of the automated categorizations or filing cabinets that it put all events in my life up to the age of 12 into before the age of 12. I learned during the third year of my life how to do this filing. This filing is absolutely necessary so that in later life, if something novel happens to me, it doesn't demand any of the attention that I might otherwise need to have at my disposal should a life-threatening situation occur. So therefore, from the age of 12, everything that happens to me Everything that I encounter, every person that I encounter, and every situation in which I find myself will be interpreted as one of the things that happened to me before the age of 12. And in particular, one of the things that happened to me between the age of two and three years of age. This, as we've said before, this is when we learn the fundamentals of how the world works and who I am.
in actual fact, we learn the fundamentals of making it through the day and who I'm not. That's what we learn during the third year of our lives. And it blinds us to everything that is going on after the age of 12, other than the life-threatening situation. It blinds us to the apparently mundane of everyday life. And yet, there is no such thing as mundane in your everyday life. Because your everyday life is made up of completely new moments. The universe that is vibrating around you at this moment in time is not the same universe that was vibrating around you when I started this sentence. The superstrings of energy in your body that make you up are not vibrating in the same way as they were when you manifested as yourself when I started this sentence. Our lives our world is being created and recreated moment to moment. If I am using my mind automatically in an ordinary way, in a normal way, I keep recreating the same thing. That's why it's impossible for people to change their lives because we're actually wired to keep recreating the same thing. But it is in the mundane or the apparently mundane because all these little nows are happening all the time. So how could one now be significant? There's no such thing as an insignificant now. There's no such thing as the mundane. It's only mundane because we think it's mundane because when we're operating on automatic pilot, we're mindless. We have not got the first idea of what is going on in the here and now. It's a process known in cognitive psychology as cognitive appraisal that enables me make enough sense of what's going on in the here and now so that I don't hurt myself, damage myself, or compromise my ability to survive the day. This process of cognitive appraisal takes what is really going on in the here and now mashes it through the machine in my head that has all those filing cabinets that I mentioned earlier on, references what's really going on in the here and now by reference to the files that I have had in my head since I was three years old, does a quick matchup so that I have a sense of what's going on, but unfortunately the sense that I have of what is going on is nonsense because, I mean, for example, I'm 63. It is 50, 51 years since my learning mind closed down. Now, if I'm using my mind normally, that's what happened when I was 12. Well, in fact, that actually is what happened when I was 12, because we all went through a process of the mind closing down around 11, 12 or 13. If I'm trudging through my life as an ordinary, normal, crazy 63-year-old, I have 51 years of using my mind in an automatic way up to now. So here we are in 2021, the 27th of October, 2021. When my automatic mind pulls the files to make sense of the events of the 27th of October, 2021, the files it pulls are from 1959, 1960, and 1961. The process through which my normal mind would step will match what my senses are telling me. In other words, what I'm seeing, feeling, 
hearing, smelling and tasting now on the 27th of October 2021. Match that back with stuff that I learned that enabled me make it through the day, in particular during the third year of my life. Using that as a reference library to enable me make sense of 2021 will ensure, and it can never otherwise, it can never ensure anything else, it will ensure that I don't understand what's going on now. I just think I understand what's going on now. Now, the real problem with that is, if you only think what's going on now, how the hell are you going to deal with what's actually going on now? Say you are presented with what you think is a challenge. Now, listen to what I said very carefully. It probably isn't a challenge at all. You only think it is a challenge by virtue of the fact that what's happening now in some vague way resembles something that you found difficult when you were two or three years old. But say you are confronted with a situation now that you perceive to be a challenge. The best you're going to do is muddle through it in a way that you learned to muddle through similar challenges when you were young and impressionable without ever understanding what is actually going on in the here and now. Let's look at that from the perspective of two people presented with the same situation. One person's challenge could be someone else's motivator. Why? Because they're looking at their own filing system. Each individual is creating their own version of reality, neither of which is a true perspective on the actual reality of the here and now, because the actual reality of the here and now is truly novel. It's only happening here and now. It has never happened before. It will never happen again. This moment is unique, and therefore, this moment is never mundane. Let's look at it from the other way around. Say you're presented with a situation now that you perceive to be an opportunity. Now, most people, when they're presented with an opportunity, it will present them with the fear of perhaps failure or the fear of success. That's a really interesting one. An awful lot of people with whom I've worked over the years are just as afraid of being a success as they are of being a failure. I know that sounds weird, but a lot of people hold the belief that if they were to be a success, they would lose something in terms of the way in which, for example, they hang around with people who ultimately turn out to be acquaintances who they actually thought were their friends who would prefer them not to be a success. Anyway, we could talk about that for the rest of our lives. Normal, crazy people hanging out with normal, crazy people. But say you're presented with a situation now that you perceive to be an opportunity. It might make you feel uncomfortable. And that is a very common perspective on an opportunity. Why? Because an opportunity is something that might enable me to change my life. I'm wired to not change. I'm afraid of change. And with all change comes loss. In other words, if I achieve something new, I lose something in the process. If I get a new job, I lose my old job. If I meet a new boyfriend or girlfriend, I've closed off my options in relation to other boyfriends and girlfriends, at least at that moment in time. So with all change comes loss and people are afraid of loss, never mind the fact that we're actually hardwired to not change or to avoid change or to resist change in the first place. That is assuming that you actually perceive something 
to be an opportunity in the first place at all. And this is the really sad thing. Somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago that she hadn't realized that her life was full of opportunities until she opened her eyes. She opened her eyes, figure of speech, for opening her mind, for developing her ability to come to a sense, an actual sense of what is going on in the here and now by turning up to the here and now. The normal mind will never spot opportunity. The normal mind at very best, at very best, will spot what it thinks is opportunity. And very often what it thinks is opportunity isn't opportunity at all. Let me give you a classic example of that. The number of people I've spoken to over the years, and all you have to do is pick up the newspaper or read the news online in relation to this. The millions of people, and there are millions of them around the world at this stage, who looked at uh, an investment opportunity that was too good to be true. And of course, it was too good to be true. It wasn't an opportunity at all. Look at the rise in online scamming in, in the context of the pandemic and lockdowns over the last year and a half. So even if you think something that is happening is an opportunity, the key word in that sentence is think. You don't know. You can't know if you're using your mind normally. You can never, ever know what is going on here and now when you are using your mind normally. That's simply a statement of scientific fact. Not only can you not evaluate what's going on, there is a strong possibility that you will actually miss the data that would enable you figure out what was going on in the here and now. Why? Because we've known back to the 1930s that we can only perceive what we expect to perceive. If you think you're stupid, and I've worked with an awful lot of people who were told they were stupid when they were growing up. Indeed, we talked last week about people who were called fatso or chubby when they were growing up. If you have these perceptions about yourself and somebody pays you a compliment, the perception is going to go in one ear and out the other without ever being evaluated, even by your automatic mind at all, because you didn't spot it. You didn't expect it. We can only perceive what we expect to perceive. This has been proved recently by neuroscientific experiment, where people in the experiment were primed to expect a number of particular images that they would be shown during the experiment. They were shown pictures that they expected to see, but they were also shown a number of pictures that they didn't expect to see. They processed the pictures, and it is unfortunately an automatic process that they expected to see, and completely missed the pictures that they didn't expect to see. Ah, I have another example for you. It's, really, it, it's, it's a simple exercise, it's a simple experiment that was carried out years ago. All I will say is Google, after you have finished this particular episode, Google the invisible gorilla experiment and have a good laugh. It exemplifies in perfect simplicity how we simply cannot see what's before our very eyes. It provides us with an awfully entertaining example of something that unfortunately isn't entertaining at all. We really don't have a clue what's going on when we're using our normal minds normally. So what do we need to do to get over this first hurdle, to begin to appreciate and understand what is actually going on in the here and now. Well, the University of Massachusetts Medical School 
in the 1980s came up with a program that subsequently became known as mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy. In other words, it was developed in the context of enabling people realize that what they thought was going on wasn't going on at all. We've talked about how we imagine stress before, and no doubt we'll come back to it again, because most people, when they are told that stress is something they choose to do to themselves and that it is a figment of their imagination as a result of the way the normal mind processes potential threats or what it thinks are potential threats, most people are flabbergasted by the fact that actually stress doesn't exist. So mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy was originally developed to deal with this illusion of stress. That evolved into mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is a means of developing our ability to understand what is actually going on, which has nothing to do with what we think is going on. The key link between those two therapies, if I can put it like that, is an age-old practice, the age-old practice of meditation. The University of Massachusetts of Medical School was using an age-old practice of meditation to enable people, quote unquote, come to their senses. It was the start of a scientific adventure that not only still goes on, but is actually gathering a pace because what has happened in the intervening years is that science has discovered, neuroscience in particular, has discovered that when we meditate, we begin to understand what's going on as a result of turning on what cognitive psychology calls our attentional spotlight. The part of our brain that where we using our brains normally would never be turned on in our adult life unless we were confronted by a life-threatening situation. Meditation enables us come to our senses in the here and now. In other words, it's a colloquialism used by John Kabat-Zinn from the University of Massachusetts Medical School, coming to your senses. But actually, that's what it means, that instead of taking what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling and tasting and putting it through your sausage machine, going back and referencing what's going on, by reference to the files that you've been dragging around with you since you were three years old. Instead of doing that, you actually perceive just what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. Meditation is a very mechanical way of doing that at the outset, but meditation has been scientifically validated again and again and again as the one and only way that you and I can start using our minds in a different way. Let me put it another way, that you and I can stop using our minds normally and start using our minds abnormally, that you and I can stop using our minds ordinarily and start using our minds extraordinarily. When we start doing that, when you start doing that, your ordinary life will begin to become extraordinary and you will begin to pick up on what is actually going on in what you thought were the mundane moments of your everyday life. These apparently mundane moments are filled with life's opportunities. They are filled with an opportunity for starters, for you to choose as a responsible adult to, in just this now, come to your senses. It is the most fundamentally important choice that we can make as adults. 
to choose to be present, to choose to smell the coffee, smell the roses, smell the sweet smell of success, to see what is going on, to feel what is really going on, to enter into what the University of Chicago calls flow. It's a fundamental choice. It is the fundamental choice. It is the most important choice you will ever make now. And you need to make it every now. And you see, meditation is the training that enables you make that choice. So we've come to the end of this episode. And I have explained to you how, when we're using our minds in an ordinary fashion, we do not know what's going on. Start. Start today by spending a little time, even if it's mechanical for a start through a mechanical exercise such as meditation. Start coming to your senses. Start paying attention to what is actually going on. Let the thoughts that will inevitably come into your head drift by. Don't give them your attention. Train your mind to pay attention to what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. And sooner rather than later, you'll begin to get an appreciation of the wonder of the moment, the wonder of life, and the wonderful opportunities that are happening before your very eyes right here and now in the real world. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-dash.com 